to pitch. Swing and a miss. Ducked him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. It's Wednesday, March 15th, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by ShopForKisses.org, the online shopping network of the Kisses for Kyle Foundation, and the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, with all sorts of fun on tap this week, tied to St. Patrick's Day, of course. The other guy you normally hear on Philly Press Box Radio, that Bill Furman fella, is under the weather this week, so he's taking the night off. I will need to see a doctor's note, however. Feel better, Bill. The good news, it's still going to be an action-packed show, including an interview with a nationally known baseball writer, whom we all admire, I think, ESPN.com's Jason Stark. Stick around for that. But here in the first segment, pinch hitting for Bill, one of our favorite visitors, now back with Bleeding Green Nation after a short leave, Brandon Lee Gowton. BLG, thanks for jumping on Philly Press Box Radio, your fifth visit, by the way, on short notice. Hey, thanks for having me. Always glad to be here. Yeah, I just realized you're uh, now a member of the Five Timers Club. That's a pretty select group, only five guys now in the Five Timers Club. So you're in there with uh, Ray Dinger, Mark Eckel, uh, Kevin Riley, Tom Moore. So some good company for you. Yeah, I'll take that. There's some good names there. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Uh, as we speak, we are six days removed from the start of the free agent signing period. And despite not having a whole lot of cap room, the Birds have managed to sign wide receivers Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, guard Chance Wormack, and then a few days later they got Nick Foles back in Midnight Green while bidding farewell to Chase Daniel. Of course, Nolan Carroll, Connor Barwin, and Bernie, Benny Logan also were sent packing. So what do you think of all these moves as a whole? I think as a whole, uh, my number one goal for the Eagles and what I thought their number one goal should be was to get weapons for Carson Wentz, and that's exactly what they did on the first day of free agency. They got Torrey Smith, the guy who ranks second in the NFL in terms of uh, yards per reception over his career among active NFL players. The, the number one guy is Deshaun Jackson, so you know not too bad company for him. And then obviously Alshon Jeffrey is a number one, a true legitimate number one wide receiver, a really good player. And the fact that they got him at a one-year deal really kind of minimizes some of the risk that he uh, carries in terms of the suspension issues and the injuries. So overall, I just felt like it was kind of like a really strong start to the Eagles in terms of free agency. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about that, the fact that these guys both got essentially one-year prove-it contracts, especially in Jeffrey's case, Smith getting a deal that includes two additional one-year team options. Do you like what the Eagles have done right there? I do. Again, uh, it comes down to getting Carson Wentz help, and, and I think Jeffrey is just a guy that really fits with Carson Wentz, especially at this point in his development because look you know we're we're looking for improvement from Carson Wentz in year two but there's still going to be some issues you know he's still adjusting to the NFL as a whole so are his passes always going to be super accurate no I mean obviously you want him to be but there's going to be times where it's not going to be perfect that's just the nature of the game and with a big tall receiver like Alshon Jeffrey can really attack the ball in the air 
you know, that's a guy you can rely on to kind of erase some of those mistakes for Carson Wentz. And, and that's just something the Eagles didn't have last year at all. It was always the case of the wide receivers would let him down. Now he has some receivers who can go out and actually make a play for him, and that should take the pressure off of him somewhat. So the offense is definitely upgraded, I think, and you do too, obviously. Looks to me, though, like the defense still needs a lot of bodies, a lot of guys who can play. Is that right? That's absolutely right, because you look at it, and it's really potentially five new starters on defense, assuming Michael Kendricks won't be back. He's still on the roster for now, but there's been talk he could be traded still, especially closer to the draft. So I'm going to count him off the roster. Uh, The coaching staff clearly doesn't like him. They barely played him last year. And then uh, as far as guys who are actually gone, it's Connor Barwin, it's Benny Logan, as you already mentioned, and then you have the two new starting cornerbacks on the outside because Nolan Carroll won't be back and Leotis McKelvin was cut. So the Eagles have a lot of work to do here. The cornerback position obviously being one they really need to do something at because uh, they just don't have any surefire starters there at this moment. As it stands right now, the Eagles have the 14th overall pick in the draft. Do they go cornerback, end rusher, running back, receiver, or otherwise? What do you think? It's It's an interesting question at this point. I think there's a lot of different options they can go. I think the injury to Sidney Jones, the cornerback from Washington, doesn't really help them a lot. I think that could have been a guy who easily would have been a target for them at 14. They could still go cornerback. You know, there's guys like Tredavious White, uh, Gary on Conley, uh, Marlon Humphrey, who's coming in for a visit in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, there's still some cornerbacks there that have that first-round talent. We'll see if they want to go in that direction. But they're not necessarily in a position where they have to take a corner there because this is supposedly a deep cornerback draft. So they could go edge rusher, which is probably one of the most underrated needs on the team. They could potentially go running back, although I highly doubt they will. And then, look, wide receiver is still a huge need because you have Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith now, but those guys are only on one-year deals. And Jordan Matthews is going to be a free agent after this season as of right now. So, you know, wide receiver is still a long-term need as well. You mentioned Marlon Humphrey, the Alabama cornerback. If I'm not mistaken, he is the guy that, according to SB Nation and uh, Bleeding Green Nation's mock draft, the latest one, uh, he would be the guy going to the Eagles at 14. you like that choice if that is what it is, Marlon Humphrey? Yeah, there's a lot of um, that, that mock draft specifically, too, uh, is one of a, a compilation one or a consensus one rather. So a lot of it's a, it's a roundup of a lot of mocks that are connecting Humphrey to the Eagles there. You know, it's it's really interesting with Humphrey. He's a young guy. He's only 20 years old. That's pretty young for a player just coming out into the NFL. Uh, he has some good athleticism. Uh, I think he might have that competitiveness that Jim Sports really likes. So he's kind of an intriguing guy for me. I know uh, other people aren't always so high on him. And Alabama defensive backs as a whole have kind of been hit or miss in the NFL, so there's always that concern. But overall, uh, I'm kind of intrigued by the pick, and I wouldn't hate it as it stands. Now, one of the few needs on offense still is running back. Um, We know that Fournette's going to go in the top five probably. Uh, Dalvin Cook is an interesting name, and uh, Joe Mixon, who we can talk about, I guess, forever, but uh, that's not going to happen with the Eagles, I don't think, certainly not in the first round. Do you like Dalvin Cook? Do you like Christian McCaffrey? I like Dalvin Cook when I watched that guy on tape. Really explosive explosive player, really fun to watch. Did not have a very good combine, which kind of makes you uh, question maybe how good he is in terms of uh, some of his athletic testing. And then obviously there's there's been some off-the-field issues there as well, and he has the injury 
concerned. So it's really not a slam dunk pick at number 14 by any means. There's been some talk from some people you've been leading up to the combine before he tested poorly that that might be a guy who surprisingly could fall to the second round. So we'll see uh, where his stock goes. As far as the other running backs go, I think you know ESPN had a mock draft today that had Christian McCaffrey going to the Eagles at 14 again. I would say there's like a 99% chance the Eagles don't go running back in the first round. But that's a guy who's intriguing just because he's not just a running back. You know, he was a really good receiver in college for Stanford as well. A lot of people have compared him to Brian Westbrook. So there's, there's even if the Eagles don't go running back in the first round, there's going to be a lot of talented guys available to them. And, and they need a running back because they don't have a, a clear starter right now. Ryan Matthews will be gone once he's... Uh, healthy enough to pass physical, and the Eagles can cut him, and the Eagles will have to do something to replace him. I know my partner, Bill, likes both Cook and McCaffrey. I guess one of the knocks against McCaffrey is that he's probably not an every-down running back. He can maybe give you, you know, 10 to 15 carries a game. Have you heard that also? Yeah, there's there's some of that. I don't know if I totally agree, especially because, or even if even if it is true and you can only do that, um, you, like I said, I think you, he's, his ability as a receiver is still good enough where you can put him in the slot and line him up there if you're not using him at running back. And then, obviously, you have other running backs. You could work in the mix there, Wendell Smallwood or, or whoever. And uh, the other thing with him, I think it's funny, a lot of people say he can't run between the tackles, but that's just not true either. You turn on the film and you can see that. And you just look at what Stanford does. You know, they're a power system. They they like to run power uh, run. So it's I just really think some of the criticism there isn't uh, accurate. Jason Kelsey, the center of the last several years, is still on the team. Is he going to be on the team come September? That's a great question because uh, I thought he would be gone by now. I think a lot of people did. Uh, Jimmy Kemsky of Philly Voice reported back in January that the Eagles were considering moving on. Uh, Jimmy has since reported that the Eagles are not going to cut him, but he didn't say uh, they wouldn't trade him, so that hasn't been ruled out. The Eagles can save about $3.8 million by getting rid of Kelsey, either by cut or trade, and it seems like trade would be more likely at this point. It just seems like he's the odd man out in this group right now because the Eagles signed Chance Warmack. It's not a guarantee he'll start, but he's in the mix. Uh, you have 2016 third-round pick Isaac Smalo coming back, and the team likes his potential at both center and guard. The most surprising move was that the Eagles re-signed uh, Steven Wisniewski, who was going to be a free agent, and everyone really expected him to be gone, but he's back, and one would only think he would be coming back if he had a legit chance to start on the team. So is that going to be at left guard, or is he going to be in the mix of the center too? So uh, in a way, the Eagles almost have three centers, and it feels like Kelsey, who's at the expensive option and is coming off two years where he hasn't played his best football, could be the odd man out in that group. We mentioned Chance Warmack. Uh, I guess Ray Dinger really likes him a lot, especially when he first came up. I guess he didn't have a great year this past year with Tennessee, but uh, Chance Warmack, if nothing else, gives you a lot more depth on that line, I guess. He figures, too. Uh, talking to some Titans writers and, and some Titans fans, the sense I got was that he wasn't really a, a terrible player by any means. Uh, he just didn't live up to the, the hype of being the number 10 overall pick in the 2013 NFL draft. So, it's kind of a situation maybe here where he comes to Philadelphia. He's working with his old offensive line coach and Jeff Stoutland, who he played his best football under in Alabama, uh, and that's why he was such a high pick, because he played well there. 
Uh, it could be a situation where he comes in, he's still only 25, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, he could end up being a good fit in the Eagles system and could challenge for a starting spot. Or at worst, he's kind of just your Wisniewski of last year, a guy who won't really see the field unless there are some injuries. And if he does play, he's not going to be a pro bowler or anything, but he can fill in and be serviceable at the very least. Now, the other move the other day made by the Eagles, not a huge move, I guess, but I liked it, bringing back Nick Foles to back up Wentz and you know letting Chase Daniel move on. You know, in odds, if, if odds are good, he's not even going to get on the field. But if, if it does come to that, if Wentz gets hurt, I'd much rather see Foles in there than a Chase Daniel. Do you like Foles? Where do you stand on Nick? As, as a backup, Nick Foles is very fine. I think uh, we've obviously seen that he doesn't really belong as a long-term option as a starter in the league. He obviously didn't play too well at the Rams. Not that the Rams are the best environment for any quarterback, but still not too great there. And and it's just really not a uh, a spot where I think he's ever going to be uh, a long-term answer there. But absolutely, if he has to come in for a game or two, you can trust that guy to try to at least get you through the game. He had a pretty good year with the, the Chiefs last year. He had three touchdowns or three or four touchdowns, I believe, zero interceptions and a, over 100 passer rating and uh, one start and some more playing time with the Chiefs. So uh, Foles is a fine signing. It is a little curious that, you know, obviously, I guess Daniel wanted out, so that's the, he kind of forced their hand. But still, you know, the Eagles are spending a lot of money on backup quarterbacks now when they already have a uh, tight cap to work with. Yeah, I like the move, though. I hope we don't get to see him too much. But, you know, if needed, he's there, and I'm happy with that. All right, the big question, I guess, are the Eagles a better team now than they were two weeks ago? Uh, it's a good question. I think just from the perspective of having those wide receivers in there, uh, I, I want to say yes, but at the same time, you know, I look at those defenders being gone, and the Eagles still have a lot of defense of work to do there, and, and really just, you know, there's no two starting cornerbacks, so there are some big holes to fill there, so it's really hard for me to say, yes, they're better. I think it's kind of maybe a wash right now, because you've got that, uh, you know, you got the help on offense, but you still have a lot of work to do on defense. Any other moves last week that surprised you? You know, Deshaun Jackson, Brandon Cooks, any of the other people, you know, moving around that surprised you? Uh, I wouldn't say anything too much. I think Benny Logan moving on, especially too, was was something that we saw, especially if the Eagles really just let him get to free agency. Uh, We've kind of heard some rumors out there that the Eagles are open to trading Jordan Matthews. And I think a lot of people didn't really get that at first, especially considering at the time the rumor came out, it was before free agency started and everyone's going, oh, you know, how could you trade Jordan Matthews? He's our, he's our not only just our best receiver, he's basically our only receiver. But the, the situation there, you know, is that, uh, again, he's going to be a free agent after this year. And if the team doesn't really believe in him long term, uh, it's not like you just want to trade him for anything. You're not just you know, giving him away for free or a seventh-round pick. But if someone comes up to you with a very strong offer, I mean, you would have to consider that because if you're not going to resign him anyway, you're figuring, hey, I don't want to just lose this guy for nothing when I can get this value for him now. So we'll have to watch that situation as the rest of the offseason progresses. Hey, in uh, five or six weeks from now, it'll be a pretty wild time in the Philadelphia, the NFL draft in the city. Uh, I guess you'll be there for at least part of the time. What do you expect from uh, the draft being held in the city of brotherly love? Uh, it's cool. It's great. Uh, the first ever NFL draft, I believe, was was held at the, uh, the Ritz-Carlton, Philadelphia. So uh, the draft is coming back to the city it started in. Uh, it should be interesting. Uh, it should be a 
uh, fun to see how uh, the Eagles fans react there. Uh, great, you know, obviously that the Eagles didn't have a first-round pick because of the Carson Wentz trade, and now they do because of the Sam Bradford trade. It'll be really cool to have that first-round pick in Philadelphia uh, and to see him there live and to hopefully, you know, see him get a lot of cheers and everything and maybe run up the Rocky steps and imitate Rocky. So I think it could be has the potential to be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, just one other question, Brandon. The great majority of sports fans have taken the time to fill out one or two or seven NCAA brackets the last few days. Just wondering, how many entries for you, and who do you think is most likely to win it all? It's two for me. It's one for uh, just a friends and family kind of league, and, and that one I have Kansas. And then the other one I have, uh, I have to take Villanova in my BGN radio bracket challenge that we're doing. <laughs> So I'm not, you know, I'm not being the person who commits to just one winner. Uh, I have Nova and Kansas going to the end, and both of them, but I'm kind of splitting them to, you know, hedge my bet there a little bit. Yeah, I'm still throwing some darts tonight to see where they land and make my final picks, but I'm probably going to go with Nova to repeat. So what the heck? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, it would be pretty cool. Brandon, great to see you back with Bleeding Green Nation. Great Eagles insight and stories all the time on there. And once again, thanks very much for pinch hitting for Bill on a couple hours' notice. It is much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Always glad to help. All right, Brandon, take care. Take it easy. All right. Our Jason Stark interview is just ahead, but, hey, if you haven't figured out how to celebrate St. Patrick's Day just yet, listen up. The Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn is the place to be Friday. Irish dancers, corned beef, green beer, the John Byrne Band all afternoon, and a DJ at night. Going to be a blast. The party continues Saturday night with the band Jumper providing the music. Then Sunday there is a Bloody Mary bar during brunch, more Irish dancers, and a $4 Sunday fun day sandwich menu. Fear not, NCAA basketball will be on the many big screen TVs all weekend. Always 24 beers on tap and friendly servers at the Rover. It is a great place to hang with friends. Their burgers and wings are top-notch. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. Check them out on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. All right, I had the chance uh, a couple of days ago to have a lengthy conversation with Jason Stark. You know him from ESPN dot com senior baseball writer spent a lot of years in philadelphia oh man it was just great talking to him about all things baseball and uh here's how it sounded me and jason stark the other day happy to be joined here on philly press box radio by espn.com senior baseball writer jason stark jason thanks for taking a few minutes of your time to talk with me Chad, it is my pleasure, man. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, Jason, Major League Baseball coming off a season that ended with a fantastic World Series, seven games, the finale going extra innings, the Cubs, of course, winning it all for the first time in 108 years. What did that great series do for the sport? I've written this. I think that was one of the most significant World Series and the most significant postseasons in modern baseball history. Obviously, because of who won, first off, (laughs) Um, it isn't every day that a team that hasn't won in a century wins the World Series or any kind of championship. So that gets your attention. But it really went beyond that because of how it happened, the way the games unfolded, and who plays for that team. This is a bunch of really magnetic personalities who were very willing to share it, you know, share it with the world on social media, do the talk show circuit, go on Saturday Night Live. I, I think they make it so easy to connect with their team that it would have been special, it would have been memorable, no matter what, 
but it's way more special and way more memorable because of all that. Absolutely. Hey, I know you've been making the rounds down in Florida lately, watching lots of spring training baseball, talking to players and managers. You were in Clearwater one day last week. What do you know about the 2017 Phillies? Well, I think they've reached a stage in their development that makes them incredibly interesting. You know, I don't know if you went around the diamond, how many players on the 2017 Phillies opening day will be in the lineup at that position the next time they play a postseason game. But I do think there's a major league player at every position. And behind that group, you know, in AAA, in Lehigh Valley, there's a prospect at every position on the diamond except third base and a whole rotation full of prospects. So, you know, I think one way to put it is their floor is now higher than it's been in a really long time. And so every guy in Lehigh Valley now has to force his way to the big leagues, has to earn the right to take the place of the guy playing there now. So it's a really interesting point in the evolution of the franchise as they try to get back to what they were. And where they go from here is fascinating to me. And some of that's going to unfold at Citizens Bank Park, but a lot of it's going to unfold in Allentown, too. Now, of course, from 2007 to 2011, times were very good for the Phillies. You chronicled their World Series title in your book, Worth the Wait, Tales of the 2008 Phillies. All those guys are gone now, either retired or playing elsewhere. But it sounds like you think the Phillies are on the right track today with Pete McCann and Andy McPhail and Matt Klentak in charge. Um, you know, I think they're going to make a lot of smart decisions, and you can see what they're trying to do now. Uh, you know, I, I had somebody with the Cubs say to me at the winter meetings that he thinks they're following the Cubs' playbook on a lot of different levels. The way they tore it down, the way they traded for prospects, the way they've tried to load up on prospects, the way they, they've now signed a bunch of players or traded for a bunch of players in the last year of their deal so they can flip them in July. You know, the Cubs turned Scott Feldman into Jake Arrieta, right? One of those deals. So they're following the playbook. You know, I guess my question about them now is, all right, where's their Chris Bryant? Where's their Anthony Rizzo? Where's their Kyle Schwarber? And if those players are not in the big leagues or not in the system, where are they going to come from? They've got a lot of money. But the point where we're really going to find out about this regime, Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail and, and all the people around him, is about to unfold because they've got some incredibly important decisions that they're going to have to make in the next year or two. And the decisions they make and how they play out will determine where the franchise goes from here. Yeah, they do have a lot of young prospects at catcher in the outfield. J.P. Crawford, of course, coming up at shortstop eventually. Any of the young guys you have especially high hopes for? Well, this spring, I think, has told us that Scott Kingry is the second baseman of the future. Now, you know, Cesar Hernandez has something to say about that, but he certainly opened eyes. Alfaro, I think everybody understands he's the catcher of the future, and he's got work to do, but nothing that anybody saw this spring changed that. You know, I think J.P. Crawford is learning a lot of life lessons, a lot of baseball lessons, and, you know, I, I think the fact that Freddie Galvis is ahead of him and you know, certainly established that he's a big league player and a leader in their, you know, on, on that team among all the Latino players means JP can't take it for granted that the Phillies are just going to throw him into the big leagues when they, when he feels like it, you know, it's going to be when he earns it. That's important. This is an extremely talented guy who I think has just assumed that doors would open for him. Now he's got to open those doors. And so of all the guys we've talked about, his year, to me, is the most intriguing. 
Getting back to the Phillies and their glory days, you watched the career of Jimmy Rollins from his September 2000 call-up to today as he tries to catch on with the Giants. Is J-Roll a Hall of Famer? You know, I don't think he is quite a Hall of Famer, but I've written this many times. He's got the most unique Hall of Fame credentials of any shortstop who ever played. There's really nobody like him. There's nobody who combines the home runs and the steals and the gold gloves and the MVP and just the whole power, speed, defense, value factor. You know, I I think if he were to have another couple of years to add to those credentials in some way, he's got a chance. I think right now he's short for me. And, you know, the other voters that I talk to, writers I talk to, I don't think there's enough there for Jimmy to be a Hall of Famer. I think there's enough support for him to hang around the ballot for a long time. Very interesting. Hey, you wrote a book 10 years ago, Jason, about baseball's overrated and underrated players. <laughs> Give me a current, a current player or two that you'd consider to be underrated. Well, these, these are the kind of things that they're really tough. Let me, <laughs> let me think about this. You didn't um, think this would be easy, did you? Uh, i like the ability to to think these things through though Um, i got you i mean paul goldschmidt i think is one who's extremely underrated we haven't really thought a lot about paul goldschmidt and his career and all the different qualities that have made him or should have made him a star i think because of the team he plays for that hasn't quite happened for him yet. I think Joey Votto, in a way, is underrated. He's one, you know, he, Joey Votto is one of those guys. I think this happens all the time, you know, because of the the ongoing debate. He, he's either so underrated, he's overrated, or so overrated, he's underrated. But Joey Votto has on base skills that come along once in a generation, and I think we because we want him to be something else. You know, something that he's not built to be. People knock down what he's really good at. You know, not everybody has that ability to go to home plate and swing at non-strikes and turn them into production. Joey Votto is so programmed to swing at strikes and nothing but strikes (laughs) that, that because of that, I think we sometimes miss what he does well. Did you say you wanted overrated, too? You can give me an overrated guy, too. I don't think he's going to be listening, so go ahead. Give me an overrated guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I think Steven Strasburg is overrated. Wow. I think the phenomenon of what he was supposed to be and what he sometimes is overshadows the fact that he never makes it through a, a full season. Yeah. He hasn't been there when they've gotten to October, when they've really needed him. You know, he's on any given day, there's nobody more exciting to watch when he takes the ball than Steven Strasburg. But this is about building a career, and it's about value to a team. And I don't think he's ever been what we thought he would be or even what his team needs him to be. Good point. Hey, in May, Jason, you'll be inducted into the Philadelphia Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, joining other Philly media greats like the late Frank Dawson, Phil Jasner, and Stan Hockman, plus Andrea Kramer, Michael Barkan, Merrill Reese, your old pal Glenn Macnow, and others. Congratulations on that honor. Well, thank you. It's, this is really one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in my life. I mean, you mentioned a bunch of the people that are already in this Hall of Fame. I mean, a lot of them are my heroes, and many of them are my friends. And you didn't mention somebody like Harvey Pollack, yeah. who really taught me to love numbers. I love numbers, man. I, you know, yes, I do numbers in almost everything that I write. <laughs> 
And some of that is because I got exposed to people like Harvey Pollack and the way they appreciate the creativity with which you can use the numbers. Dave Zinkoff, you know, is oh, in yeah. this, this Hall of Fame. And I, I know now he's been gone for, what, about 20 years. And so a lot of people listening now never even heard him. But for anybody who heard Dave Zinkoff, one of the most iconic voices and the most iconic Philadelphians ever – you know, when I start thinking about the people I'm going to wind up being in the Philadelphia Jewish Sports Hall of Fame with, it blows me away. You know, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have 17 different halls of fame that I'm a member of. It's going to be, the, uh, I think, the second below by high school hall of fame. So I, I'm incredibly moved and honored that this happened to me. Well, just a hunch, Jason, but I think the Jewish Hall of Fame honor is in part for your terrific work on the great sports debate on prison back in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Glenn Mack now beat me to that. Yeah, he's in there. Sports Hall of Fame, yeah, my, you got my good friend Glenn. And so I, I, I don't recall them mentioning that when they told me I'd gotten in. <laughs> but if Glenn's in and I'm in, maybe you're onto something, Chet. Yeah. Hey, one final question. Ryan Howard, anybody got to take a shot on him? I know the Rockies have an injury. Could they possibly give Ryan Howard a shot? I, I just don't see it at this point. Uh, I mean, if you really take a step back and you think about it, you know, the last couple of years that he was in Philadelphia – how hard were the Phillies trying to trade that guy? Yeah. They didn't want a lot back. They didn't want any back at the end. They would pay most of the money. By the end, they'd pay all the money. And they couldn't find a taker. You know, like I love Ryan, and I certainly understand and appreciate everything he did when he was at his greatest. But, I mean, the reality is teams look at him. They see a guy who really shouldn't play the field anymore, just has too much trouble moving around, doesn't give you any base running can't hit left-handers, has trouble against the power relievers. You know, he, he's a guy you'd really have to pick your spots to play almost purely as a DH or a bat off the bench, you know, against right-handed pitchers, right-handed starting pitchers. They're just, unfortunately for him, he reached the market at a time when teams aren't looking for that. The age of the pure DH is just about over. Teams use those spots in totally different ways now. And so, I, I think just the circumstances are not right for him to play anymore. I hope he's okay with that because he did things that very few players have ever done, and certainly very few players in Philadelphia have ever done. And if it's over, that's okay. That's the way I would look at it anyway. Well, speaking of being over, we're just about out of time. I hope, <laughs> I hope you're wrong about Ryan Howard, but you're probably right. I do appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk with me. Thank you, Jason. Chet, I appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it. Thanks. And there you have it, some great stuff from Jason Stark. I loved what he had to say about the Phil's young prospects, the fact that the future could be pretty bright if these guys do pan out, how J.P. Crawford needs to take the bull by the horns this year to show that he should be the guy at shortstop for the long haul, etc. That's why Jason is the best. All right, let's thank another one of our sponsors right now, Shop4Kisses.org, the online shopping network of the Kisses for Kyle Foundation. By logging on to the www.shopforkisses.org website, you become connected to more than 3,000 stores, including all the big ones you already shop at. Every purchase made gets you cash back, and each purchase benefits the Kisses for Kyle Foundation, which helps families dealing with childhood cancer throughout the Delaware Valley. If you have any questions, contact Bob Sullivan at bobsullivan.shopcom at gmail.com or give him a call at 484-319-8043.
Hey, if anybody is listening live right here on this Wednesday evening post-snowstorm and wants to call in and offer thoughts about the Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, or March Madness, the phone lines are open through the end of the show. The number is 929-477-2855. Once again, that is 929-477-2855. I promise I won't bite. All right, so let's see what is happening with the Flyers and Sixers. Hasn't been the greatest of weeks for either team, I guess. The Flyers came up small in their last few games in what were pretty much must-win situations. Their player ho- playoff hopes are now on life support as they battle the rival Penguins this evening. It's probably going to take a miracle at this point for the Orange and Black. Meanwhile, the Sixers are heading home after a four-game West Coast trip to bad news. They lost three of those four games. They blew a 12-point lead entering the final period Tuesday night against the powerful Warriors. But, yeah, they did battle every game. It's a shame they couldn't hold that lead against the Warriors. The big news, of course, Dario Saric making a real push right now for Rookie of the Year. He scored more than 20 points, I believe, in four of the last five games, set a couple of career highs, 28 points, 29 points along the way. And he just seems to be getting stronger as the season goes on, which is somewhat surprising considering how much basketball he's played over the last year or so with, you know, his team overseas and the Olympic trials, Olympics themselves. But, yeah, Dario's made a believer in me, and I think he should be rookie of the year at this point because you just can't give it to Joel Embiid playing only 31 games. Saric's not hitting a wall. And, you know, some people thought that might happen, even me, but uh, he's the real deal. Next up for the Sixers, interesting, a Friday night home game against the Dallas Mavericks, featuring that Nerlens Noel making his first trip to the Wells Fargo Center as a visitor. How has Nerlens done since the trade? Not bad. Ten points, eight rebounds a game, pretty much matching his career numbers as a Sixer. You just know he'll be energized for that Friday night game. Should be a good crowd at the Wells Fargo Center. And I bet you there's going to be a lot of Nerlens fans there also. We know that... uh, Nerlens will certainly be up for it. We also hear that Ben Simmons is continuing to rehab and that it's going well and that he is itching to play. Not going to happen, of course, this season. We're going to have to wait until the fall. But Simmons certainly seems to have the right attitude. Nothing new to report on Joel Embiid. I'm still expecting them to say, yeah, he's going to need surgery in the next week or two. But it uh, hasn't happened yet, so we shall see. Can't wait to see those guys, Embiid and Simmons, playing together on the court, hopefully this October. Right now, let's get to our signing update at Carl's Cards and Collectibles. Next up, private signings with Flyers legends Bobby Clark and Bernie Perrant. Perrant? Bernie Perrant. You know who I mean. That goaltender. Carl has been able to extend the date to get your items to him for both of these guys until this Saturday, the 18th. Also, Carl will soon have an in-store appearance from one of our favorite Broad Street bullies, Dave the Hammer Schultz, for all the details, times, and all that stuff. Go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on the Carl's Cards and Collectibles banner right at the top, or just go directly to Carl's website for all the details, or stop by to Carl's Cards and Collectibles. That's 22 West Eagle Road in Havertown, or give Carl a call at 610-789-4996. I don't think Carl's back from Florida just yet. He's enjoying all that sunshine down in Clearwater, watching lots of Phillies baseball. Good for Carl. Oh, you can also contact Carl, touch base with him on Twitter, follow him, cards. <clears throat> well, since I'm flying solo this evening, I'm going to wrap things up a bit earlier than usual. But first, a little parting shot. 
Yeah, it's March Madness time again. Office productivity will take a hit for the next week or so as lots of employees focus more on what's happening in arenas around the country than on what's supposed to be getting done in their own cubicles. I somehow won office pools twice in the past. The first time, I think it was back in 2000 or 2001, the second time in 2008, but I've been pretty pathetic ever since, I admit it. Still, I'm filling out a bracket just as I guess 70% of all Americans are doing. Making a small donation to the eventual winner it almost certainly won't be me. And having not watched a whole lot of college hoops over the last four months, I'll still spend a bunch of hours in front of a TV over the next four days rooting for teams I've never really watched play, hoping for the usual great finishes to a number of games, and hoping also that I'm at least still somewhere in the top half of the field come Monday morning so I can watch again next weekend. For what it's worth, mainly because I really don't have any inside information on anyone, I've decided to pick Villanova to repeat. I'm sure there will be plenty of others doing the same, especially in the Philly area. That means even if I'm correct, I probably won't win it all with all that money, you know, but it would be great to see Jay Wright, Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins and company make it back-to-back titles. Why not? Enjoy the madness, everyone. Well, I hope Bill Furman feels better. He's been under the weather lately, as has Fred Hugo. So get well, guys, please. And, boy, this has been fun this uh, last 40 minutes or so. We're talking with Brandon Lee Gowton about the Eagles and their recent moves, what they might be doing in the draft, and uh, letting you hear the interview I did with Jason Stark, who just a great writer and a great guy. And uh, congrats again to Jason Stark on being inducted in May into the Philadelphia Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. As we wrap things up for this episode of the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, we do thank our special guest, Jason Stark, our last-minute pinch hitter for Bill Furman, Brandon Lee Gowton, plus our sponsors, the Irish Rovers Station House. A lot of goings on there this week, of course. LuLaRoe, Taylor & Heather, Carl's Cards & Collectibles, and ShopForKisses.org for their continued support of the show. For Bill Furman, feel better, big guy. This is Chet, Jim Chesko. We hope you enjoyed the show and will join Philly Press Box Radio in two weeks, March 29th. You can listen through our new website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes and Stitcher. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. <laughs>